O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. As the old saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Whether it's our health, home maintenance, or schoolwork, that's pretty good wisdom. Even if you are a last minute fly by the seat of your pants sort of person, we all know that there are some situations where it's simply too late to get prepared. Like going to the store to buy a fire extinguisher once the fire has started. As I said last Sunday, the colics from Ad for Advent are splendid prayers that guide us through this season. And today's is no exception. Merciful God, who sets your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sin, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It's a prayer of preparation, namely listening to the prophets of God who have a message for us to hear. Now, when we hear the word prophet, we tend to think of someone who can tell the future. But that's not really how prophets are understood in the Bible. Prophets are not people who have special or secret knowledge. Rather, they are vessels through whom God has chosen to speak. And prophets don't really deal in the future. Rather, they speak to the present. Instead of being foretellers, we might call prophets forth. Tellers, that is, they speak to the present more than they are speaking about the future. Now, yes, sometimes prophecy involves speaking of future consequences or signs that will validate a message. But prophecy is not some parlor trick about predicting the future. Rather, prophecy is speaking God's truth in the present moment. And this is not some point for scholars to write papers about and the rest of us to ignore. No, if we do not know how to read prophecy, then we will completely miss the point of what God is saying to us today. If we misunderstand prophecy to be about future predictions, then who cares? I mean, really, if the words of Malachi or Zechariah, or John the Baptist are predictions about something that happened a long time ago, then those words might be interesting stories, but little more than that. And if they are predictions about something that has not yet happened, again, so what? Knowing that something will happen eventually at some undetermined point in the future has very, very little bearing on our lives right now. But this is not what prophecy is about. Prophecy is about the living and active Word of God speaking to us today. The words of the prophets are not their own. They are God's. And this is why prophetic speech often begins with, Thus says the Lord. God's speech is not bound by time in the way that our words are. What God said to Isaiah is just as applicable today as it was then. To be sure, what God said to Ezekiel meant something in Ezekiel's day. But the word of God is never rendered obsolete 
by the passage of time. All this is to say that prophecy cannot and should not be dismissed as no longer relevant for us. And what allows the words of the prophets to speak in such a timeless way is the direction from which they come. It's easy to think that prophecy was spoken in the past, but it's actually that prophetic words come from the future. Now, the fancy way of saying this is that it is about eschatology, not teleology. Teleology is taking the current situation and extrapolating it into the future. Think in terms of cooking. If you have sugar, flour, eggs, and vanilla, chances are you're going to end up with a birthday cake, not a crab cake. And this is how most of us think of the future, in terms of human potential and cause and effect. The alternative, though, is eschatology. This is being assured of the future and then living accordingly. It's being promised crab cake and knowing that maybe the flour should be reserved for that instead of using it on a birthday cake. And this is what the prophets help us to do. They remind us that God is in charge. God has possibilities in store for us beyond what we can imagine. Eschatology is not about human potential, but rather divine possibility. And this is what allows the prophets to speak of hope in hopeless situations, about redemption in the midst of brokenness, about peace in times of strife, about resurrection when we are surrounded by death. The prophets remind us that with God all things shall be well. And when we put these two aspects of prophecy together, the idea that prophecy is about the present moment and about God's potential, not ours, then we can see what the purpose and the function of biblical prophecy is. It is about helping us to imagine a different world, to see the world as God sees it. And this is why prophecy so often involves a call to action our opinions, experiences, and ideas are always going to be limited. And so the prophets help us to see beyond ourselves, beyond what we can imagine, giving us new possibilities and new priorities. And this sense of godly vision is what gives people the faith to keep on. People like physicians and nurses in the midst of a pandemic Saints like Mother Teresa, who care for those in poverty when there seems to be no end in sight to greed. People like school teachers and counselors who give so much to children growing up in a society that does not help them realize their fullest potential. People like clergy who wonder what future the church has, giving declining membership and church attendance. And these things only make sense in light of the world that the prophets help us to see. Not one limited by our present brokenness, but one full of God's grace, mercy, and love. If we think that the future is doom and gloom, then that is likely how we will live. But if we know God's got the whole world in those almighty hands of love,
well, then that enables us to come and see the difference that Christ makes. Now, the way that the prophets often deliver this message is through poetry or song. When you flip through the prophetic books of the Bible, more often than not, you will not find blocks of text indicating prose, but rather indented lines which preserve the poetry of prophecy. Today, instead of a psalm after the first reading, we have what is called a canticle. A canticle is a song found in scripture. And this particular song is called the Benedictus. It's prophesied by Zechariah, father of John the baptizer. And using both his words and that of this week's collect, we receive God's message for us today. The collect asks us, or asks God rather, to help us in heeding the words of the prophets. And in order to heed the words of the prophet, we have to engage scripture because it's really hard to heed words that we never hear. A few Sundays ago, I preached about the place of scripture in our faith, and I offered to meet or correspond via email with any of you with, about the questions that you might have regarding scripture. That offer has no expiration date. Reading scripture is so important not because it makes us holier or better Christians, but to help us hear what God is saying in the words of scripture. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, prophecy has not ended. No, we might not be adding more books to the Bible, but God still speaks words of prophecy today. Martin Luther King, Desmond Tutu, Elizabeth Duncan Kuntz, Michael Curry, Greta Thunberg, all speak prophetic words to us today. Now, the mark of a prophet is usually that people don't hear, want to hear what they have to say. Many biblical prophets ended up jailed or exiled. John the Baptist was beheaded. Jesus was crucified. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. Oscar Romero was assassinated. If you disagree with what someone is saying, and you fear that they might be right, then that's a decent sign that what we are hearing is prophecy. It's not so much that the prophets are trying to be disruptive, it's just that God's ways are not our ways, and so when they call us to return to God, we often resist. And this is why we have to pray that prayer, that we are able to heed their warnings. It's a prayer asking for God to disturb us, to make us uncomfortable, to change us. And this is what that word repent is all about. The collect notes that the prophets preach repentance. And we heard Zechariah speak about us having knowledge of our salvation by the forgiveness of our sins. To repent in the language of the Bible is not limited to making an apology and then moving on. Repentance is not about making amends, although that could be a part of it. No, repentance is even bigger and more challenging because to repent means to change your mind. The Greek word here is metanoia. Meta means to go beyond, and noia means mind. We still use the word paranoia today to mean that you're out of your mind. Well, metanoia is the same root. It means to go beyond 
your mind. That is, to adopt a new vision, to see the world that the prophets are showing us. Repenting is about saying something like, I once was blind, but now I see. And so embedded within this message of heeding the message of the prophets and repenting is humility. Acknowledging that we don't know it all and that none of us has all the answers. No matter how much we listen, learn, read, or experience, each of us is limited to seeing the world through our own eyes. And so that means, at best, each of us has a perspective equal to about one eight billionth of all the perspectives in the world today. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a perspective, but there's great danger in thinking too much of it. Rather, we put our trust in the eternal and secure truths of God's mercy, grace, and love. When our thinking is not aligned with God's ways, the prophets help us to repent, to think differently. Now, the metaphor in Luke that John the Baptist, who's quoting from Isaiah, uses for this repentance is that of highway building. You could probably even hear the words in your head as Handel arranged them. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Now, as we all know from 85, highway construction is not fun. It costs a lot of money. It disrupts our commutes. It always takes longer than expected. And as soon as it's finished, it's time to start all over again. Well, repentance is the same. It might cost us our sincerely held beliefs. It will take a while to have our actions align more closely with God's call to us. It will be hard work, and it might require heavy machinery. And as soon as we think that we have sufficiently changed our minds, there'll be another blind spot for us to address. The prophet Malachi compares it to a refiner's fire or a fuller's soap, signaling a process of having heat and pressure applied to us so that we can be transformed. Now, what's helpful in Malachi's prophecy is that these things are done to us, not things we have to do to ourselves. The metal does not refine itself. The cloth does not scrub itself clean. Instead, God helps us to repent. Because if repentance were up to us, well, we probably wouldn't have those school teachers, nurses, or saints that I mentioned earlier. Through the church, through the prophets, through the sacraments, God is shaping us to be the sort of people who are made different in the difference that Christ makes. And the purpose of this prophetic call to repentance is, as Zechariah sings, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just as prophecy is not intended to be locked away in the future, but is about the present, so is this peace and this joy. The call to repent is not so that we can get into heaven when we die. That is a gross misunderstanding of our faith. 
Rather, this call to repentance is to help us enter into the kingdom as it exists and is unfolding on earth as it is in heaven. The prophetic call is urgent because God's grace is here and now. Now, repentance is hard work, but the result is a highway that prepares the way of the Lord. It can indeed be a challenge to live in the economy of grace instead of the economy of capitalism or individualism. But as John the Baptist tells us through it, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Or as the Collect puts it, we shall joyfully receive Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. For us, the question is, what do we do with the prophets? Do we dismiss them? Do we cancel them? Do we kill them? Or do we pray that bold prayer that God might grant us ears and hearts to heed their warning?